God is good. He is good. And I've started a series, What I Believe, because it's important. And if you don't think it's important, uh, just let somebody run around, run around with you a while, and they'll see what's important to you. You know, you always say that, uh, used to say anyway, because people don't carry checkbooks anymore. Does anybody have a checkbook in here? Who no longer has a checkbook? Who has a check card? Who carries cash and who doesn't? Who carries cash in here? Oh, man, how many does not carry cash? It's about, you know, not, not quite equal, but it's pretty sad. It's critical in, in the direction that you will go on what you believe, what you value, what you don't value. What I believe, the values that you hold dear, the decisions you make are based on the way your thinking is. But this is the key. The biggest battlefield, the biggest battlefield is in our mind. Negative battles, things that we war against that nobody else knows. Physical, spiritual, things that we see and we don't see. This morning in my, in my office, it was just like a, a spirit of heaviness was in my office. The spirit of the Lord moved and, and I finally broke through it. But uh, I just sat there and all I could do, I was about to go to sleep the whole time. I was battling, battling, and, and I began to pray, and I, I didn't really anticipate what he was really doing until later I began to understand when God renewed my strength, and I won't say, say any more about it, but it's amazing that the battlefield was, in, was in, in my mind. And in this place this morning, there's a battle going on right in the midst of us. Some of us didn't come here, but for maybe other reasons, maybe you just came just to see what's happening or whatever, but there was a battle in your mind. Things that you think, what you believe is right, what you believe is wrong. Years ago, my wife and I, we uh, sat under a, a Charles Bowser. He was a pastor up at Lake Gerardo Assembly, and I was working at Teen Challenge, and I went to, we went to church out there at his little church, and, and he was a, a great guy. And, um, but he began to tell a story. He was in Central Assembly or somewhere uh, when he was little. There was a lady who sat in the church, I'm going to tell you how he told us. She sat over on this side, and you don't see this much anymore, but she had a huge goiter on her neck. You may, I'm not saying gator, a huge goiter. If you don't know what a goiter is, it's like a, a big uh, a mass, if you will. And she was sitting over there, and she sat on the second row, and this little boy, Charles, would sit on the front row, and she would stand up every service, every Sunday, and say, I want to thank the Lord for touching me and healing me and restoring my body. And she'd walk out there with a big goiter on her neck. She'd done this every week. She'd done it for years. She kept saying it. It got to the place that people went to the pastor and said, you've got to tell her to quit, man. She says it's healed and all this stuff, and, and that thing is there every Sunday. She comes back and comes in the door with it on her neck. Well, one Sunday she, said, she stood up and said this and got everybody's attention. And she said, man, the Lord has healed my neck. I know he has. I thank you for taking his gourd away. And she sat down, and the little boy, Charles, sitting there, and he was looking at her, and all of a sudden, it disappeared. It just shrunk up, and it turned into nothing. She was healed instantly, and the only person that, were hurt, that got to see it was Charles himself. It's amazing how many times there's miracles in our midst, and we may, we may not speak them, but there are. And we don't have a lot of miracles because we don't believe for them. It, exercising your faith is so important. Even when you don't see them, exercising faith is important. There's a lot of things that we don't see, a lot of things we haven't accomplished, but we don't see them yet, so we stop exercising our faith. I want you to go to Joshua, if you will. Chapter 6, verse 1. 
This is a story about uh, Jericho. We all know the story. I've always had in my mind, I've, I envisioned this vast city and this, these huge walls, as tall as these walls here, and, and barbed wire on the side. Well, not barbed wire, but something on the side to keep it from coming over them and go around a big complex. But realistically, it wasn't that big, but it was big enough. The walls are about 12 feet tall, and they're about 6 feet wide. Not real big, but it was big enough for, for chariots or whatever to run around on the top. And high enough that not everybody could just climb up them and get over them. Because they kept intruders out. They kept intruders from coming in to conquer them. But it wasn't that big. Even the whole, the whole distance around Jericho was like a mile and a quarter. Maybe a little more than a mile and a quarter. You could walk it in about what? 15, 20 minutes. Maybe 30 minutes. If it's a big crowd, it might take an hour or so. So that's, this is where we're at. The fall of Jericho. The people of Jericho were afraid because the Israelites were near. They closed the city gates and guarded them, and no one went out. No one went into the city, and no one came out. Stop for just a minute. Everything we, everything that we think about God, we think is good. I'm a Christian. I'm good. There's good things in store for me. Right? That's what we think of Christianity. But these are Jews back in the day, and their reputation got there before they did. And the people were afraid because they knew that if God was for them, God was going to allow them to overcome Jericho. Now, if you will, we'll go back to this and I'll explain it to you. No one went out, no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, look, I've given you Jericho, its king and all its fighting men. March around the city with your army once a day for six days. Now, here they go, marching around for six days, almost a week. And I don't know about you, but I probably would have started thinking. It wasn't all the kids and all the wives and everyone, but it was the, it was the army. And they could take orders. Isn't it amazing how many times in Scripture God uses un, uncommon means to accomplish things? There was about 8,000 people in, in Israel's army. And I don't know about you, maybe they could overtake them. But there was only about 3,000 3, people in the whole city of that tells you how fast I think, don't you? Yeah. Uh, let me get my train of thought back. There was only 3,000 inhabitants of Jericho, but it was a huge obstacle. And but one thing about it, once they overcame Jericho, it was going to allow them to walk in faith and take other people out as they were going to the land of Canaan. Now you may think, oh, that's silly. I think that, that story, last week I talked about Noah's Ark, you may think that Noah and that, the fish and, and all the animals coming into the ark, that's just silly. Is it? Is it? How about in your life? Is the things in your life that you see is absolutely un, never going to happen? Those are the same type of things and the same things that block us from many times walking a lot of victory in our life. So many people thought they were silly. They were men in battle while they're walking around. It was a weird strategy. With the wall weakened a little bit every day, as they, as they walked around, they stomped their feet. Some of the mortar would fall out, some of the bricks, not a, nothing. Nothing changed for six days. My mind, my mind begins to race, and I begin to run around thinking, man, there's a lot of things that you said that you've done that you required to take your time. How about, the, about Naaman? When he was in the, in, the, in the water, in the River Jordan, he didn't even want to go there, but he went, and he didn't get healed the first step, the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and finally on the seventh one, he was, he was completely healed. Why? It's so important that we follow the Lord all the way through. 
Instead of just going part of the way because it seems silly. I've shared this story with you many times. I never will understand it really, but whenever my brother-in-law said, when he was in uh, Iowa growing up, there was an evangelist that was speaking, and he got down on his knees, and he began to bark at the piano pew, the stool for the piano. It didn't make a lot of sense to him, and he thought he was absolutely crazy. And there's a lot of things that God asked us to do that may seem crazy. But God knew there would be somebody in the crowd that day that said, Lord, you're going to have to prove that you're real. You let the preacher get down and bark like a dog. And that's what he done. And God brought that guy to his altar and he gave his heart to the Lord. Why? It's so important that we're responsive and that we respond in a way that it's in obedience. No changes until the seventh day. Same way with marching around the ark. Marching around. I was Noah. Marching around the city. You know, it may have been intimidating to everyone who lived on the inside. But when the seventh day came, in chapter 6, verse 1, I read, it said the people were well aware and they were hiding. The people were well aware that there was a plan to this. A lot of times you may not know that the enemy knows there's a plan in your life. There's a plan in my life. There's a reason why you experience what you've experienced. There's a, there's a calling that God has placed upon many people's lives when you were small. And you wonder, well, why in the world did, how, why would he place a call on my life? Look at all the junk I've went through, all the, all the scars and all the emotional junk that I've experienced. Give me some time. He's going to bring things to pass that you never thought would ever come to pass in your life. In chapter 6 and verse 15. And on the seventh day, and I'll tell you what, on the seventh day is, is, is important. On the seventh day, they begin to march. On the seventh day, they got up at dawn and marched around the city and just as they had on the days before. But on that day, they marched around the city how many times? Seven days, seven times around it. And when they marched around the seven times, they lifted up their voice, they gave a shout, and they blew the horns, and all the things would happen. And then the walls began to tumble. Why? It didn't tumble because they made noise. It didn't tumble because there was power in their step. It tumbled because they were obedient. I cannot tell you how many people have, have received something from God. It's just a stinking, nothing more than a cattle trough. That's what it is with water in it. But because of their acts of obedience, it's amazing to see what God has done in their life since then. This past week, I'm going to give you one example. We have a lady in here, her name is Linda Mitchell. And she doesn't know I was going to, I'm going to share this, but I'm going to share it. She came in here, last, last Sunday she came in and she got baptized. It doesn't matter what all she said. But one of the things she said was very important to her is that she learns to be very obedient. I'm tired of sitting back and not doing anything. I'm tired of it. And so that happened Sunday. Wednesday we had a miss, brother, uh, that's him. And they were, they were from Egypt and they began to minister a lot to uh, Muslims over there. And she goes, well, how do I, how do I develop a relationship with them? How do I talk to them and, and talk to them about God and about Jesus? And he says, well, you've got to develop a relationship. Well, unbeknownst to her, I don't know if it happened Monday and it happened Tuesday, but I know Wednesday something happened in her, with her and these two ladies. And there began to be dialogue back and forth. She didn't have the boldness to step out. How long, where you at, Linda? How long have you worked with them? Oh, amazing. Five years squandered and wasted. Just kidding. Five years, but the timing was critical. She made a decision. She spoke to someone who dealt with a lot of Muslims, 
And then she began to put some things into practice. I'm not saying that that would ever work before because God was working on that end too, the same way he was working on you. By the end of the day, I don't know which one of them, but I know that one of the ladies slipped her notes and said, please buy me a Bible and bring it to me tomorrow. That is, and it's simply because of obedience that was working in a, a woman who came up and got baptized. She's been here for years, raised her family in our church. But it was a, it was a situation that seemed impossible. And finally, a boldness has come upon her. I'm going to finish. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, You will reap if you faint not. There's a lot of you in here who have given up sometime in the past. Maybe you're here this morning, you feel like giving up now. You know, we got a couple of dozen of the eggs up here, and they're real farm fresh, straight from the farm. I was very careful bringing those in here this morning because they have a tendency to break very easily. If you notice, there might be a little debris on them, but that's okay. There's brown ones, there's dark brown ones, there's skinny ones, there's some green ones, and they're not colored. Where's Ambi? Once you get this dozen eggs, Ambi. I'm going to tell you to take them, but be very diligent that you're careful with them because they will break. And I'll give this some to somebody, maybe. But you know what? A lot of people want to reap a harvest. And they don't want to endure. You know, I know I've shared this before. I'm going to share it again. I have some chickens. Thanks to Buck and Julie, but uh, mine keep getting eaten by something. And uh, But we get a lot of eggs. About every day we get about four or five eggs every day. And uh, it's great. And I take them and, and take them in the house, and now our fridge is getting full of eggs. But you know when a hen goes to lay on, go to set on its eggs, and going to set on eggs means uh, eggs that are going to produce baby chicks. For those who don't know, but and it takes 21 days for a mother hen to set on her chicks. You see, she'll reap if she'll if she'll not quit, because when you're sitting on those eggs for 21 days, or maybe you in here and you've been sitting on stuff for 21 years. Matter of fact, there may be people that sit in here for for many years on a relationship with your husband or your wife that is not what it should be. And things that should have happened years ago, but it never did because you quit setting on your eggs. You see, a chicken has no encouragement. And a lot of us, if God doesn't encourage us on our, our schedule, what we plan, then we quit. It takes 21 days of her stand, sitting on these and keeping them warm all the time. But at the end of 21 days, she knows that she'll have a harvest. She'll have some offspring. She doesn't know. I know when I looked at yesterday, uh, Tyler was walking around all big, and there's several ladies in here pregnant, and there's a lot of things going on, on the inside, and you know you're pregnant. You know you are. You can tell by looking. You can tell by feeling. I remember one of the first got first, uh, with uh, Tyson's his name. Uh, she's pregnant. I remember all the time going on the bed and she come here, feel this. Oh, look at this. Look at this elbow over here. It's whatever. She had confidence. There was something going on, but a chicken doesn't have any confidence. It can't see anything. 
until after 21 days, it, it begins to feel something pecking through the shell. And it receives a harvest. I'd like for the worship team to come back up, if you would. You see, chapter 6, verse 9 of Galatians, it says that. You'll reap if you, sow, if you faint not. But in chapter 6, verse 7, two verses before that, it says something else. Don't be fooled. You cannot cheat God. People harvest only what they plant. But in King James, it says, God is not fooled. You're not fooling anyone. A man soweth whatsoever. A man soweth. A man reapeth whatsoever a man sows. We don't take the things that God given us as precious as these eggs. We'll take and cultivate and, and care for with them and keep them warm. We don't take our own relationship with the Lord many times like we should. Incubation process is 21 days. What, what if they got this 16 days and they decided to quit? They would all die. And everybody in here, there's a place in your life that God has been calling you. You may not know all the answers. You may, you may be a believer, but he's been calling you to something different. And maybe you've known this for a long time. A long time. I'm going to close with this scripture. You see, we've all got a Jericho. We've all got a Jericho we're going through. And Maybe the Lord's speaking to you about things being untraditional. Let me tell you here, at this church we do a lot of things untraditional. We're not very, a very traditional church. And I'll tell you why. Because there's traditional churches everywhere. Everywhere. It is a purpose in our heart and something we strive for. We, do, we just think about, what would Jesus do? If Jesus was pastoring a church, what would he do in our church? Now, he would do a lot more than we ever imagined. But there's something he would do differently. He wouldn't worry about all the things we've always thought as churchy. He, began, he would want people to come in. And when they come in, we don't look them up and down. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter how you look. It's a condition of your heart. It's why we want people to come in here. We want people to come in lost. We want, you want people to come in here, not criticize and look down upon. So, so we begin to think, what, what is different about this church? What do we do differently? We, we set our eggs maybe carefully. We take the call of God very seriously. And many, many of us maybe haven't taken it serious enough. In John chapter 5, this story is, is, it ought to get you excited. And Jesus went to Jerusalem for a special feast. In Jerusalem, there was a pool with five covered porches, which is called Bethesda in the Hebrew language. The pool is near the sheep gate, and many sick people were lying on the porches beside the pool. Some were blind, some were crippled, some were paralyzed. A man who was lying there had been sick for 38 years, and Jesus saw the man 
and knew that he had been sick for such a long time. And Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up. I know lately, the last three or four weeks, we're going to have baptism again this morning. And God is compelling you. He is drawing on your heart to come and get baptized. That's great. But I believe there's some people here with something else on the inside. For 38 years, he'd been crippled and he'd been bound. And I believe it's important 